This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's passage comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Amen. Amen. Uh, Today's title of uh, the sermon is actually Grace for Your Everyday Life. I had to do a last-minute change, so uh, the the subtitle didn't reflect it, but today we're going to look at Grace for Your Everyday Life. I remember... um, Back in high school, I believe, I was in youth group, and we're doing a study uh, somewhere in, in, in the book of Jonah, I believe. And then the pastor, uh, as we're going to the study, he brings up the gospel, that Christ came, he died, he was buried, and he resurrected to save us sinners. And I remember one of my peers um, looking miserably bored out of his mind. And the pastor goes, what's, what, what's wrong? And he's like, well, you know, the gospel. I know it. I want to learn something new. Teach me something that's practical for my life, my everyday life. You know, a lot of the times we can look at the gospel, we hear it, we understand it intellectually, but a lot of times there's a disconnect, and it doesn't translate into our daily lives. The gospel is not just something to be known in our heads, but it's something that we should digest with our hearts. And as we do that, it impacts our everyday life. And so today, we're going to look at the chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, where Apostle Paul, he's informed of the problems arising in the Corinthian church. And he addresses the problem with this letter. And what he's doing with this letter is he's teaching the Corinthian church how to live your everyday life in the light of the gospel. In the first several chapters, he talks about living in unity, in light of the gospel. Then he moves on to living peaceably and living a pure life. And then he goes on to living in culture, and he talks about Christian freedom in light of the gospel. Eventually, in chapter 15, he gets to the climax of his book. It's the resurrection. And what he wants to emphasize is the power and the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our daily lives. So today, we'll look at these opening verses of chapter 15 that gives us a clear, concise summary of the gospel, that Jesus was killed, he was buried, and resurrected to save us from our sins. 
And as we celebrate and remember the resurrection of Christ, we'll look at this amazing grace that was given to us and how it impacts your daily life. And we're going to look through it in three different uh, points. The first will be grace, God's grace is primary. Second is God's grace on repeat. And finally, God's grace is sufficient. So his grace is primary, grace on repeat, and grace is sufficient. So let's start out with grace is primary. God's grace is primary for our lives. We're in April already of 2023, and that means a a quarter of this year has already passed. Not sure about you, but it has been flying by. And I want you to imagine with me, if you will, if you could play back the past three months of your life. If you can imagine all the times that you were happy and filled with joy, all the times that you were sad, maybe anxious and down, all the times you're upset, frustrated, angry, the times you felt most fulfilled in your life, maybe the times that you were also most empty and lonely. And as you think about these past three months and all the emotions and experiences that you went through, when you look at it, what would you evaluate to be the most important thing in your life? What was the most important thing in your life that drove your decisions, that drove your emotions the past three months? Was it your career, right? Was it a source of immense joy and fulfillment or perhaps disappointment and frustration? Was it your relationships? Was your self-worth and your well-being tied in to the presence or the lack of someone in your life? Perhaps it was your finance, your health, education. These, are, these things in our lives, of course, are very important. But the struggle for us is when we take these important things in our lives and we make them the most important thing. Needless to say, when you ultimately pursue these things as the most important thing in your life, we know that it cannot fully satisfy us. Paul emphasizes to the Corinthian church as they try to live out their faith that the most important thing in their life is the gospel. It is primary, more important than your careers, your families, your relationships, education, all of that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look down with me at verse 3. He says, For I have delivered to you as a first importance, the first importance that's primary to your life, that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and raised on the third day. Christ, the gospel is primary for the Christian life. It's the lens in which we should view everything in our lives. If you make the gospel the lens in which you process everything in your life, it will have major drastic changes. There are major implications for you. When I was growing up, uh, I would love the toys that came in these cereal boxes. You know, and I don't know if you, you were the same. I, whenever I went to the grocery store with my parents, I would pick the cereal box depending on these toys and little, little trinkets. And um, I remember that there are these certain toys, there was a specific toy, called these decoder glasses. I don't know if you guys remember these. They're little cardboard glasses. And you put them on, and they had these red film lens. And what you would do with this is you would go to the back of the cereal box, and you would have all these challenges and puzzles and, and these weird drawings. And you would have to solve them using these glasses. 
And what these red film would do, it would, it would, it would block out all these distractions, all the nonsense, so you could find the answer clearly. It was, I don't know how to explain the science, but it was like magic for a seven-year-old, right? And putting on these glasses, you could see the answers clearly. And this is what the gospel does for us in our lives. It makes sense of the life that we live in, and it frees us from the clutter of the world. It helps us to see what is truly important, right? Because when we, we, we view the world and our experiences with certain lenses, we view it through the lens of career. We view it through the lens of family, health, and finances, right? Because if career is the most important thing to you, you're looking at everything in your life that happens based on your career, and you try to find salvation in it. And what ends up happening is that it becomes your purpose for existence. In relationships, the same thing with kids or marriage. If this is the most important thing in your life, if you're viewing entire life through the lens of just your family, what you do is, again, you try to seek salvation in your family. Your worth gets tied up to the people around you and, and the status of your relationship with them. Fill in the blank. Whatever is the most important thing to you, if you're viewing your life only through that lens, eventually what happens is you try to seek salvation for you through that thing. And it will always leave you disappointed because these things cannot save us. But when the gospel, when the gospel becomes the primary lens in which you view everything that happens in your life, it changes everything. Your worth will no longer be tied to your job to your relationships, to your bank account. Your purpose won't be tied to these things either. You are set free from these things that you seek salvation in. And you find true salvation. You find true life in Jesus Christ. But the truth is, many times, we have trouble making gospel the first thing in our lives. Our hearts try to place its its purpose and its salvation in different things that we focus on. And so what we need to do is have the gospel on repeat. The gospel on repeat. God's grace on repeat. We go to our next point. Is there a song that you guys uh, just loved, right? Uh, and then you just put on repeat. We go through our playlist in all different styles, right? Some of us just go from the beginning to the end. Some of us put it on shuffle. Right? And some of us are just fixated on one song and it just plays over and over and over again. And for the Christian life, this is so necessary for us to put the gospel on repeat in our daily lives. Look down in verse 1 with me. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Paul begins this portion of the letter saying, now I would remind you. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is why does Paul need to remind the Corinthian church, the people who have heard and received this gospel message, why would he need to remind them of the gospel? And the, same, and the answer is the same for the Corinthian church back then, for our church right now, and for all believers of all time. Because whether you have been believing for a few weeks or for decades, we all struggle with something in our faith walk. And it's called gospel amnesia. Not quite sure who came up with this term, but gospel amnesia is this 
phrase that shows us that, it, that our hearts, as we walk through this life in our journey, we are constantly forgetting who Christ is, what he did for us, and what his promises are to us. It's forgetting that Christ lived and died and resurrected for you so that now you are reconciled to God and living as his son or daughter. And why does this happen? Why does we receive this glorious message and somehow we are constantly forgetting it as we face our daily lives? You know, I considered, I used to consider myself uh, having pretty good memory. You know, I can remember the names of faces pretty well, better than most. You know, I used to know a ton of birthdays and phone numbers. I even still to this day remember the phone number of the house I was living in in elementary school 30-some years ago. But over the past couple years, the past couple months, uh, as I've been getting a little bit older, I've noticed my memory hasn't been as sharp anymore. You know, as I've transitioned into uh, this lead pastor position, as I had more responsibilities put on my plate, as I, I had twins and I had all these, you know, the, the sleepless nights and all the stress and the joy of raising twins, all of these things started to affect my memory. And I haven't been as sharp as I used to be. And similarly, as we live in this world, there are many things that happen to us, many things that we go through that cause us to forget the promises of God. Right? There's just the overall business, busyness of life. We have career, relationships, obligations, maintaining our health. There's so many things that we are busy with that we forget the promises given to us. Then there are the hard things, the trials, the difficulties that make us feel all alone, that make us forget the promises that God has given us. We also deal with all the messages and lies out in the world that the enemy will try to use to trip you up. And this will bring about gospel amnesia. And the biggest uh, cause of it all is ourselves, ourselves. It's our sinful nature. Our hearts deceive us, and we chase after idols that have no power to satisfy us. And as we struggle with our sin, we'll condemn ourselves and we'll feel shame, telling ourselves we're unforgivable, forgetting this gospel message. And so as the Corinthian church was struggling with the implications of the gospel on their daily lives, he reminds them. Reminds him of the glorious truth of the gospel that Christ died, was buried, and raised on the third day. And because of what Christ has done for you, you are completely forgiven by God. You're loved by Him. You're accepted and fully known that God cares for you, that you're secured and kept by Him. Christ died to give us life, not just eternal life, but abundant life here and now. And all these promises that are given to us was sealed and guaranteed for us when Christ rose from the grave. There's a well-known saying that the resurrection was a father's amen to Jesus saying, it is finished on the cross. Without the resurrection, everything Jesus talked about, everything he promised, everything he did was in vain if there were no resurrection. Paul even says this in the following verses in 14. He says, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Without the resurrection, Jesus would have been just another great teacher who made some outrageously wild claims. But Christ was raised on that third day, 
proving that he was the son of God, showing that he paid the price for our sins and that he has the power to save us. He guaranteed us life on that morning. And we need to be reminded of this gospel every day. Uh, Pastor Adam Sin says this about the condition of our hearts and our gospel amnesia. When I wake up, I often feel like the weight of the world rests on my shoulders, that I need to earn the approval of others, that my worth is tied to my performance, that my treasure is found in this world, that I don't really need God and more. It's really embarrassing, really. But we shouldn't be surprised about this. Our hearts are like leaky buckets. Just when you thought it was filled, they start to empty. We need to know this about our hearts. This is just how fallen hearts function. Because of the nature of indwelling sin, our hearts effortlessly drift away from God like unanchored boats at sea. Our hearts are like leaky buckets, if you would imagine this metaphor. right? We, we, we come to church on Sunday. We hear the gospel preach. It, it fills our buckets up. We're full of life. We're full of hope. But then Monday, you go out into the world. Maybe you're late for work and your boss chews you out, pokes a hole in the bucket. That life slowly starts to drain. Your coworker is nagging on you, making things very difficult, pokes another hole in the bucket. Your friend bought a new Mercedes and it looks pretty good on them and you're wondering, when will that day come for me? Pokes another hole in the bucket. Family member gets sick. You struggle with illness, and you have no idea what the future holds, and it creates this anxiety, another hole in the bucket. And you get home at night exhausted, and you replay the day in your mind. Despair starts to sink in. Maybe you feel defeated, and another hole is poked in the bucket. And that life that that you've experienced from hearing the gospel on Sunday slowly starts to drain. And Tuesday morning, you wake up, and rather than reminding yourself and filling that bucket up with the promises of God, you just go about your life again. More experiences, more hardships, more holes in the bucket. And this repeats itself until Sunday. And we struggle through the week, feeling spiritually dead. This is generally our case, our experience in our faith walk. It happens to a lot of us. Are we going to sit there and let all these holes be made in our bucket? Or can we sit there and remind ourselves of the glorious truth of the gospel? Are you going to remind yourself of what Christ has done for you in his life, death, and resurrection? Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Remind yourself, no matter what you're facing today, right now, there is a hope for a better tomorrow. There's a glorious future ahead of you in eternity. Are you going to remind yourself that you're loved and treasured by your Father? The depths of these waters are inexhaustible. You can draw from them daily. You preach the gospel to yourself. Many of the times we preach the law to ourselves all the things that we need to do and get done to, in order to be a Christian, right? We talk about spiritual disciplines, that we need to do our quiet time, 
read the Bible, and pray. And these are all great things. But, but before we do that, before we do that, we preach the gospel to ourselves. And we fill that bucket up from what he has done for us and not what we can do for ourselves. His grace is sufficient for you. Let the gospel restore your soul, encourage you and strengthen you, and fill that bucket. And finally, we'll look at God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. If you look down with me, we'll start at verse 3 and read to 11 once more. For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul, in these final, the last verses of today's passage, he, he lists these specific people and specific groups who were firsthand eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And it serves as the basis of his argument for the resurrection as he goes into the rest of the chapter. But what I want us to do is look at these characters that he lists and see how sufficient God's grace is for us, to see how God's grace is powerful enough to save us and change us. But before I do, let's take a moment and, and step back before these people that are listed. Right? If we look at the Gospel of Matthew, it starts off with the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus. It's his family tree. And in this tree, it's not a list of A-listers, you know, the best of the best, but it's filled with very real and very broken people. Right? It starts off with Abraham. And we look at Abraham, you know, the father of the faith. But if we look at Abraham's life and what the scriptures teach us, is he was actually a very bad husband. He, he gave his wife away twice because he was scared for his own life. We move on a couple names and we see Jacob. His name means he was a liar. He lied to his own father to steal his twin brother's birthright. Rahab. Rahab comes up in Jesus' Jesus' lineology as well. And she is known as a prostitute, a non-Israelite as well. And it says that King David, right? King David, finally, we have someone respectable, someone who's worthy. It says that he had Solomon by the wife of Uriah, pointing out his adultery. And what did he do to the husband of his, the wife that he had an affair with? He ended up killing her. These are men and women included in the genealogy of Jesus, the Son of God, our Messiah. They're very real people with very real flaws. But none of them were out of the reach of God's grace. And as we continue on the names listed in today's passage, three specific people 
are mentioned. And we're going to look into their lives as well. A pastor I ran across breaks down these characters uh, like this. The first name of these eyewitness accounts is Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. He was passionate and full of zeal for Jesus. And as Jesus was having his final meal with his disciples, he tells Peter that you are going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, never going to happen. I would rather die with you, Lord, before I deny you. But as the dinner finishes, as Jesus is betrayed and handed over to the authorities, what happens? Peter falls from a distance. And a woman approaches him, a young servant girl, it says. And says, you, you, you were with Jesus. You are one of his followers. And Peter denies this. And again, a couple hours later, as Jesus is falsely accused by the religious leaders, and after he's mocked and beaten, a servant girl, another one, comes up to him. And he says to the crowd, hey, this guy, this guy was, was Jesus. I swear this is him. And Peter, this time, he denies it with an oath. He says, I swear, I do not know this man. And after a little while, the crowd notices Peter, and they shout out to him, you, you were with this man. Your speech, your accent gives it away. And Peter, on his third denial, invokes a curse on himself and swears, no, I did not know this man. Peter loved and followed Jesus for three years, but in Jesus' darkest hour, he denies him three times, just as Jesus predicted. The second of these witnesses that it mentions is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he's known for not believing that Jesus was the Son of God. He, he did not believe that his own very half-brother was the Son of God. And you can imagine so, and you can understand why he would feel such a way, right? Because have you ever had a family member who said some things that are maybe not appropriate out in public, or had some weird mannerisms, and you're just kind of embarrassed to see them, or I mean, to be seen with them, right? We all have that uncle or aunt that, you know, it kind of acts like that. But imagine James his half, and his half-brother Jesus. Jesus, during his time, was absolutely revolutionary. He preached things that people had never heard before. He confronted the high priests, the religious leaders, the top of the top of society at that time, and he called them out on their hypocrisy and self-righteousness. It was not a popular message. But more than that, Jesus sat down and he ate with the sinners and with the least of us. He welcomed and he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. He, he loved and he healed those rejected by society, the broken and the sick. And it makes sense that James could be a little bit embarrassed by this. It makes sense that James would not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But eventually we know that James would become an apostle and give his life for this message, for the gospel. And last person that he specifically mentions in this letter, is himself, Paul. And he considers himself untimely born, referring to the sudden and abnormal nature to which Paul was born again and called as an apostle. He considers himself unworthy because of his previous life. Paul, 
was a persecutor of the church. His job was to murder the followers of Christ. He wanted to stomp out this whole Christianity thing. And it wasn't just a hobby, but it was a passion of his. It was his whole life's work, his purpose. And it was on his way to Damascus as he was going to try to kill more Christians that the resurrected Christ appeared to him, and it changed everything for him. For these men, meeting Jesus resurrected from the grave changed everything for them. It restored them, and it gave them new life. The Bible is so honest and upfront about our condition as sinful men and women. And yet, it's these very women and men that God comes and saves and uses. Those that denied him, those that rejected him, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the prostitutes. God's grace is sufficient to save them all. And it wasn't anything that they did, but solely by the overwhelming, undeserved grace of God. For other religions out there, it's all about getting yourself cleaned up, trying harder, doing better. And this is the way to ascend to God. And this is the way you will find salvation. It's all based on your performance, doing good works, following religious rituals, living by a certain code of ethics and morals. Do this well enough, hard enough for for your entire life, and maybe, just maybe, God will accept you. But Christianity, the message is radically different. Our salvation is from outside ourselves. The good news of Christianity is that we are saved and we have the hope of a resurrected life, not because of anything we do, but because of Christ and what he's done. This message is humbling and it's also offensive because it tells us that our greatest problem, our greatest problem is not anything out there in the world, our jobs, our families, or whatever. Our greatest problem is ourselves and the sin that we have within We've fallen, so fallen, we've fallen so far short of God's glory, and there's nothing that we can do to pick ourselves up. And so God, he sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfectly righteous life for us. And then Jesus would go to that cross and pay the price for our sins. He'd be buried, and three days later, he would rise from the dead. There is no other way for us to be reconciled to God but through Jesus Christ and his finished work. And today, no matter how much you feel like you fall short, no matter how much you stumble, no matter how much you don't make God the most primary thing in your life, no matter how many times you forget the gospel, remember that his grace is sufficient to save you. No other message, no other person, but the gospel of Christ can give you life today and all your days. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.